Welcome back to the LED Project Podcast. My name is Kyle Krieger, and I am joined again this afternoon by Wilkie Law the Third. Will, how's it going? Going great, going great. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Um, one of my best high school buddies got married this past weekend. Everything was flawless. The weather was good. We, I was really disappointed because of the six groomsmen. I was the only one that danced for like the first two and a half hours of the dance. I, I felt a little betrayed by them but otherwise things are good um and we are so uh fortunate to have allegra levine on the podcast tonight allegra how are you i'm doing very well today thank you how about you great great we're 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 just chatting a little bit prior to hitting the record button that your last day of school is tomorrow and we're recording this on june 25th Yep, I've been having the countdown going for a while now, so I'm very excited. Yeah, that's wild. That is wild. But we, 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 we were supposed to do this last week, but I was I was sick one day, and then the power went out at Wilkie's one the the next day. So we're yes. we're appreciative of your patience, and we're glad we could make it happen. That's okay. Teachers are supposed to be patient, right? Yes, we 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 try to be. We try yeah. to be, so yeah. So will you go ahead and get her started? All right. Um, but like we would just want to first again, again, thank you, thank you, thank you for taking time out of your schedule um, to talk with us. And just to give you an idea of the back backdrop for the podcast, mm-hmm. we Kyle and I worked together for uh, three years at a school here in Houston, and. We kind of started a conversation about teachers and teacher attributes and what the teaching looked like, what was bad teaching, you know, mm-hmm. kind of defining the teacher role and the educator's role in, in what they do in their classroom. And when we kind of, when we split, we kind of started talking like we want to get, keep the conversation going, but we wanted to include other teachers. So our goal was to try to reach out to other authentic teacher voices and say, hey, let's put this voice out so that other people there are other educators who are going through something or maybe they would be inspired by someone else who's doing something and, mm-hmm. you know, maybe even garner support for causes that people are pushing and moving toward in order to, you know, move forward in education and get education to every single child in this country. So mm-hmm. thank you for being a part of that conversation today. Of course. Thank you for having me. I love podcasts. I'm really excited about this. I think it's a great idea what you guys are doing. Thank you. Awesome. So, Tell us the story of how and why you became a teacher. Okay, so it's kind of an interesting story. I think it's interesting of how I got to where I am today. So growing up, I always wanted to be either a lawyer, a teacher, or an actress. Um, The actress thing clearly wasn't going to work out, but I was like always like teaching my stuffed animals in my bedroom, and I just loved school. I always had teachers that I looked up to. But when I graduated college, I kind of decided to go the lawyer route. Um, And I I actually went to law school with the idea that I wanted to be a family and child advocate. And in my first semester of law school, I hated it. Like everyone in my class was so passionate about law and I was just finding myself like totally indifferent to everything we were learning. But I kind of felt like, okay, I like just won this scholarship and I moved to New York City. I can't quit. Like I don't want to be a quitter. And my 
family will be so disappointed in me. I kind of felt stuck. Um, and, like, I would kind of be in class, like, secretly applying for Teach for America and looking up ways to become a teacher because I didn't major in education um, in my undergrad. And then what actually ended up happening was Hurricane Sandy hit New York City. And my apartment flooded. And I thought, okay, this is the perfect opportunity to get out of my lease. Because anybody who lives in New York City knows that, like, once you sign a lease, there's no getting out of it. Like, they are very strict about it. And sometimes you can't sublet. So that's another thing. I was like, I have this lease. I have to be able to pay for it. I can't leave law school. But it was kind of the perfect opportunity. So I ended up actually getting out of my lease because of the flood and um, taking a leave of absence from law school. And I applied to New York City Teaching Fellows. And I got in for special education. And I I started doing it, and I loved it. And I was able to, like, get my certification over the summer and get my master's paid for. And so I've been teaching for five years since then. Awesome. Yeah. Wow. Wow, that's... It it was, like, one of those things where everything happens for a reason. And the flood was, like, the worst thing ever at the time, but ended up being kind of a blessing in disguise. Yeah. 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 Well, that is a very interesting story. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. <laughs> and I guess once you were in law school, since you, your focus was family and child advocacy, mm-hmm. you just kind of found yourself kind of leaning toward that burning more than the study of law, I guess. Right. So I had kind of thought like going into law would be great because I loved kids, but. I thought, okay, I can be a lawyer for kids. But what I came to realize in going to panels and everything while I was there, all of the family lawyers, they didn't spend any time with the kids. They would have like 500 cases at once. They were so overworked. They never saw the kids. And I started realizing if I want to actually spend time with kids, I need to be in the classroom. And that's what's great about special education is I actually get to still advocate for the kids like I wanted to. But I get mm-hmm. to also be a teacher, so it's kind of the best of both worlds. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I started my teaching career as a we have uh, we had an adaptive behavior unit, mm-hmm. um, and I started out there as an aide when I first came into education. Um, nice. And it immediately I said to myself, "This is something I can do every day for my life." Right. So I got certified. You know, I wasn't an education major either. I started out in sociology and psychology. Oh, okay. And um, I knew I wanted to work with people, but I, I thought more along the lines of, like, social services, kind of helping families. And I did that for a while. You know, teaching was my actual third career choice. Oh, wow. Um, so I definitely understand taking a kind of a long road around mm-hmm. um, to kind of get to it. But once you find it, it's like, this is what I'm meant to do. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. No, I had I had always wanted to be a teacher, but part of me was like, oh, if I can go to law school, that sounds so cool. That sounds really prestigious. But I ended up finding out that it's just not what I wasn't passionate about it. Right. Yeah. Right. Awesome. Mm-hmm. So, who was your favorite teacher? Um, let's say K twelve and why. So, my favorite teacher, I always remember, she's my eighth grade English teacher, Miss Ort. Um, and I don't even remember exactly 
why I loved her so much. All I remember is that she made me love reading and writing even more than I already did. I was already a person who loved English, but she just made, she always inspired me. I can't remember the specifics from so long ago. I just remember like the feeling of being in her class and wanting to do her work. And I just remember that she was nice and funny and I like looked up to her and wanted to be just like her. And I actually remember the first day of eighth grade, I came home and told my mom, like, my new teacher is so strict. I don't like her. And my mom said, um, she's going to end up being your favorite teacher, I bet. And she was right. I loved her. Yeah. Moms are always right. <laughs> Moms are always right. Yeah. It's true. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, you, you talked about Ms. Gore. You said Ms. Gore, right? Correct? Oh, Miss Orge. O R T. Orge, I'm sorry. Yeah, it's okay. Um, you talked about her, so kinda of tell us what is the value of a great teacher? I think I mean it's everything really because thinking back to her, she made me excited to come to school and she motivated me to do the work like I didn't feel like I was forced to do it I wanted to do it because I liked her so much and she made me love what we were doing so just like we have to go to our jobs every day and it really helps if we like what we're doing and have people there who make us want to be there it's the same thing with kids like they have to go there every day so if we can be teachers who make our kids want to be there then that's everything but then there's sometimes the situation where kids don't even realize that they have a great teacher and maybe they still hate school, but they're still learning and making progress. And like, that's really the end goal. So, I mean, a student can make a lot of progress in one year if they have a good teacher. And a lot of times, especially if you work in like an urban school, students come several grade levels behind and a great teacher can make that difference where they can kind of close the gap. Right. Mm-hmm. 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 You know, I, I, I'm, I'm under the uh, impression that I really believe that if you can get a student to like you as a person mm-hmm. while you're teaching, that student will grow no matter what. I agree. No, that That's really everything because they're going to respect you so much more if they like mm-hmm. you. And then they're going to want to work for you and want to learn. Right. And I think it's that, that's, that, that's that kind of hard sell. You know, that's that elevator pitch that teachers have to really kind of get mm-hmm. when they're connecting with those kids. It's like, okay, you know, I have the first 30 seconds for them to decide if they're going to keep watching and listening to this channel. Right. You know, so can I, can I do something or say something that's going to hook them and catch them in such a way that they're going to want to keep listening to me and then come motivated to listen to me again tomorrow? Exactly. And, so I think that's really, really, um, I like that you said that, you know, she made you love something that you even love even more. Right. You know, so that was like, she just almost, almost like getting every student exactly what they need mm-hmm. in order to be successful. Yeah, and I think, awesome. yeah, no, I think it's so important as a teacher, too, to just be yourself and to let the kids see your personality a little bit. Obviously, there's limitations to that, but when they get to see that you're a person too and you can be funny and you have your own interests, I think they get so much more interested in you because kids are nosy. First of all, they want to know about you (laughs) and like then, then they get to like you. So you obviously have to be strict 
and be the adult in the room, but showing them your personality too is really important. So uh, this is this was one of the questions, but I wanted to ask you because this is something I've asked before. Um, when I was going through teachers and uh, you know talking with older teachers when I first got into teaching mm-hmm. um, twelve years ago, I was told, "Don't smile until December." Yes, I've heard that. Okay, <laughs> I have heard that. Don't smile until Thanksgiving break is what I heard. Yeah. Okay. So, and, and I, I guess I want to get your take on like what's your take on that as far as. Mm-hmm. Teachers not presenting that that side of them in the beginning of uh, meeting their students. Yeah, it's funny that you said that because I think about that every fall, and I'm like, I cannot make it until Thanksgiving break without laughing with these kids. That's just not going to happen. I definitely do that. I would say in the first few weeks. The first few weeks, I am very much all business, very strict. And I think the first few weeks is enough. And then after that, I can loosen up a little bit and start to show them my personality. I would say the kids are scared of me in the first few weeks. And then they start to see that I'm actually not that scary. I don't think we can make it until November or December. I don't know about you, but that that's way too long. Like, that is going to be torture for everybody if we're going that many months without having any fun. I think... I think the first few weeks is enough. If you can get the routines and procedures down in those first few weeks, then you're good for the rest of the year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's what I think. I don't, know. Mm-hmm. I don't think I make it a full. I don't think I can make it a full week or two. I, no, my personality, I, I'm the guy, you know. But again, I'm very much a disciplinarian. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm a, I'm a principle-driven teacher. I don't right. have a lot of rules. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like to set up the self-governing principles that teachers, I mean, that students start to govern their own selves, you know, yeah. their own their own um, uh, attitudes, their own behaviors, and learn to cooperate with one another. And I think that me showing them that I, I can laugh and joke, but okay, no, no, wait, let's back up. There's a time and place, so let's get serious. This is how this goes. Does everybody understand? And then kind of moving forward to there. Because, again, I, I shared it with someone that I think there's, I'm, I'm going against nature if I expect, I teach middle school, so right, if I too. expect a group of fifth graders to come into a math classroom and sit down and be quiet and listen to me talk and give them math rules and procedures and steps mm-hmm. for 90 minutes or 45 minutes, it's no. not going to work. No. It's not going to work. I, they, I've already had them lost. So I tried to do the whole, uh, when I was growing up, I'm a little, a little older, a little seasoned, <laughs> um, one of my favorite rappers was KRS One, you know, from New York City, Boogie mm-hmm. Down Bronx, and uh, he, he had a, he had an album out called Edutainment, where he said, "I'm gonna educate you and I'm gonna entertain you at the same time." And as a teacher, that's kind of what the route that I take is that I'm I'm gonna entertain you. Basically, it's the Mr. Long Show featuring all my students for 45 minutes. <laughs> yeah, I love you know, that. And and I think it really. It, for me, it has really, it helped me to connect with the students because they see she's a real person. Like, I, I'm not a teacher bot. You know, I'm not in the closet waiting for them to leave. You know, waiting for them to get there in the morning and I pop out and start teaching and go back in the closet. You know, they don't, they need, I think it's important for them to see that human side of, of teachers. I completely agree. Mm-hmm. So, all right. Um. So what is one thing that you wish parents knew about teaching? 
Wow, there's probably a lot that I wish that they knew about teaching, (laughs) but I would say the number one is that all we want to do is help their kids. So obviously I know a lot of teachers and I've never met one who doesn't genuinely want their students to succeed, even the ones who might be a bit more challenging. So, you know, we're never out to get your kid. We, all we want is the best for them, just like the parents want the best for them. And while we love their kid, they're also not the only kid in the class. So there's only one of us and many of them. No, we're only human, so we're always there to help your kid, but we can't give their kid one-on-one attention all the time. Right. Yeah. That's but I have to say I have really great parents at my school. I've really never had any problems. I've had very good – I have a good track record with the parents, so I'm happy about that. You know, I'm a relationships person, so just as strongly as I believe I have to develop a relationship with my students, I try to develop a relationship with my parents. Right. Um, you know, they also need to understand that we're human. So if your kid gets out of line and says something, understand that, that just like that would cut and hurt any human being, mm-hmm. it hurts the children also. You know, especially right. when you're trying to relationship hurt someone that, that cares about you. Genuinely, I need the parents to know, I love your kids as if they're my own. Exactly. I want for them just the same way that I would want for my own child. So... The expectations I'm going to set, they're going to be stern. They're going to be high. But I'm also going to be there to help facilitate them on that journey. Yeah. And they're not, not just, I'm not here for, for, for in, down here in Texas, it's the 5th and the 20th we get paid. I'm not here for the 5th and 20th. You know, <laughs> like I'm that, here yeah. for the 5, 10, and 15, and 20 years when the kid is successful and they're functioning in, in society. That's, that's my long haul, you know. So... I like that. Awesome. Awesome. So, what is your take on the state of education today? So, I have a lot to say on this topic. I actually love talking about this with people. I could probably spend the whole time talking about just this, but I won't. Um, I don't think we're where we need to be yet. I really like the way the trend is heading in terms of, like, student-centered classrooms and moving students toward independence and being lifelong learners. I love the idea of universal design for learning. I think that there are a lot of new trends in education that are going to be great. However, I don't feel that our education system currently reflects the United States being one of the greatest countries in the world. Um, You know, I work in New York City, so you would think that in terms of resources, we would have everything but the reality is that we really don't and the fact that it's 2018 and I'm sharing one laptop cart with 40 other teachers is concerning to me so I think I think we're making a lot of progress in education and I think we have um, we're getting better with consistency across the country Um, I think we still have a long way to go I think we need better support for new teachers. I know a lot of first-year teachers really struggle because they don't have some of the mentorship they need. Um, And possibly, I think we just need, like, stability because all the time there's a new system and a new curriculum to try. So I I think things are going in the right direction, but we could do better. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
I love it. That's um, yeah, it's pretty solid. <laughs> I like what you said that 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 shows that you have subscribed to the growth mindset when you say we're not there yet. Right. Um, I, I think that the more we get teachers to buy into, I think we're living in an age where brain science can really help the yes. teachers, individual teachers in the classroom, if they're really exposed to it the way it's meant for their specific curriculum. Um, I know I follow um, YouTube out of Stanford, Dr. Joe Bowler, who is doing all this amazing research just on how students' brains respond to mathematics. Mm. That's it. That is all she focuses on. Not any other content area, how the brain of adolescents respond to math curriculum being taught. And I think when we're in that age where we have the technology to kind of literally look inside of somebody's head and see what's going on, we should, as educators, really take advantage and districts and states and the federal government should be pushing that resource to the classroom to say, hey, look, look what the brain is really capable of doing at this you know, developmental age and really giving students those 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 challenges that's going to hit them at those milestones to kind of help grow them in a way that they're supposed to. Yeah, I think so. looking at research is so important. And I do think we're getting better about that. Um, every, I feel like the professional developments I've been going through recently have been citing a lot on brain research, so I really like that. Um, I think, like I said, I think we're definitely headed in the right direction, but, but there's still some work to do, but we'll get there. Absolutely, absolutely. Forever optimist, that's what I yeah. say I am. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what is your philosophy of education? So my philosophy is kind of rooted in the belief that all students are capable of learning, but that learning must be individualized to best fit the unique needs of each student. Um, as an educator, my ultimate goal is to provide my students with the supports necessary to move them towards independence. So if I've taught them something and they get to the point where they no longer need me, I feel like I've done my job. Um, and then I want them to be lifelong learners. So how I said before that my favorite teacher, she inspired me to love reading and writing because I wanted to and not because she was making me. That's what I want for my kids too. So my goal is to make them feel the passion that I feel for what I'm teaching them, to make them love what they're doing. And if we can do that as educators, I think that's so important. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. So that's, that's a really good kind of segue to how we found you, um, you know, on Instagram and, and, mm -hmm. you know, we've talked a little bit about education, but I do want to ask you about, you know, your, your t-shirt and your hat line and, and what you're doing yes. there so um why did you choose the 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 lemon logo and and what is the acronym for it because i really love what the acronym is thank you yes so the lemon stands for let education mend our nation hence the lemon so this idea actually came about five years ago um and i actually i can't remember if i had wanted to do something with a lemon and then the acronym came or if the acronym acronym came first and then the lemon, I actually do not remember. But basically, I have always been passionate, passionate about the idea that 
education is the solution to so many of our country's problems. Um, so when we talk about the cycle of poverty, unemployment, homelessness, crime, it seems so obvious to me that these issues could be reduced if we could improve our education system. Um, so I teach many students who are homeless, and I just feel like if I can get them to be proficient readers and writers who love learning and want to continue with their education, I can get them to the point where they can create a better life for themselves. So I know it may not be as simplistic as what I'm saying, but I'm all about prevention rather than intervention, and I feel like we can prevent these cycles from continuing through education. So helping it uh, end our nation. And I also, I shall get mad if I don't shout her out, I have to give props to my mom because I actually had this concept, but she came up with the wording of what education mend our nation, so that was all her. <laughs> nice, nice. Yeah. So, so through that, um, what, what happens, because I, I think this is the coolest part, not only are your, is your stuff cool, but you have a really cool um, thing that you do on the back end. So what is it that happens every time somebody buys something from your store? Yeah, so every time somebody buys something, I then buy a brand new book and donate it to a school or a classroom. So what I've been doing is kind of waiting till I have a significant amount of orders and then ordering that many books and giving them to a teacher in a low-income school. Mm. Now, and maybe is is your are your is your clothing line just for women, or is there some things that are unisex? Well, right now the shirts are just women's, and the hat is unisex. But coming soon is something more geared towards the male. So keep an eye out for that. <sighs> yes, because I I yeah. like I really like the hat. Because it's just like that simple white hat with your logo on it, but I was like, uh, okay, good. Because I don't want to, I don't want to be like the dude walking around in a woman's hat, you know, or something like that. It is unisex, and you can totally get it. Mm -hmm. But I am keep an eye out in the next couple weeks, okay? There might be something you like better. But yes, I just started out with going towards the women, just because that is realistically the majority of teachers. Right. But I know the men are too, and I have had a few requests, so they're coming soon. Awesome, awesome, yes. awesome. And we are looking forward to that. And if if I don't if I don't get the hat soon, I definitely gonna whatever you get on on the men's side, we're gonna have to get it when when it comes out. So, um, you know, moving kind of back to the classroom, there was. Um, one of the things that was on your Instagram that I really liked was when you had the explanation of your info book brainstorm. Yes. I thought that was really cool. So could you just explain um, how that helped your students and, and how some of those projects turned out? Yeah. So I always like to start out with a brainstorm before we start any new writing project. I just think it's really important to get ideas on paper and get writing on demand because otherwise I think kids can stay stuck for days trying to think of that perfect topic. So I think doing the brainstorm just kind of gets them to the point where I say like, no, just write, just write. It doesn't have to be perfect. You can always change your mind. Um, Let's just get a bunch of ideas down and then later on you can kind of choose what's best. 
And then I think it also gives me the opportunity to push them to find ideas with more depth if necessary. So like one student had brainstormed for her info book topic, like this really specific field trip location that she went on in elementary school. And there was like nothing on it in the internet that she could really research. So I was able to kind of push her to do something science related. So it's good for the kids and it's good for me so I can see their ideas beforehand. But those projects turned out really cool. So they loved it because they they got to choose their topic completely. I didn't in any way direct them what they had to do. Um, so because they had so much choice, they got really creative and it was some of the it was my favorite thing they did all year, I think. They they really went all out. And you're pretty I mean cuz we I think we would both agree with you that the more ownership you can give a kid of a project, right. the the better the better off you know, they're or not the better off. Well, it's better off it's going to be, but the better chance right. you have of that person really taking, like you said, taking ownership of it. So what, what were some of the, just on that project, what were some of the things that the students did? So I had one of my students who wants to be a makeup artist. So she did her whole project on makeup and she put a really cool spin on it. She like, she ended up interviewing students from different cultures and asking about their opinions on makeup so she interviewed like some of the muslim students to get their opinion on makeup versus some of the hispanic students and she like compared their different opinions and she asked like males about their opinions on females wearing makeup and she like she went out and bought little eyeshadow kits and decorated her book with that so that was really cool we had some on Fortnite, of course (laughs) and then like one girl did hers on Cardi B, and then we had one kid do his on the brain. One kid picked rocks and minerals. That was kind of random, but it was cool. So we had a wide range of topics. Yeah, so the student who was the makeup artist, it was she normally one who would, you know, go out and talk to people and, you know, really, like, interact with? Because I feel like in middle school, that's got to be kind of scary to go to a bunch of students you may or may not know and ask some questions about any topic, let alone the topic of makeup. No, I know. She she is very sociable, but I thought that was awesome because we didn't, my co-teacher, we didn't give her any ideas on that. I was kind of thinking, like, how is she going to do makeup? Is she just going to write about what each type of makeup is? But no, she, she took in that whole direction where she made it about the significance of makeup and what it means to people. And I, I wasn't expecting her to go there, so I was really impressed. Right. Yeah, that's awesome. So, you know, kind of kind of coming back around to what you were saying about how education is the solution. I know I know you talked about um how you th- how important you think reading is, but yeah. also kind of on that vein and, you know, especially in our society, um what is the value of also being, you know, skilled in the written word? I mean, I may be biased because I'm a person who loves English, but I think it's the most important skill. And now more than ever, people are going to see our writing. I think in the past, you know, work was done through the phone. And even if you couldn't write well, you could get by doing a job where you don't need to write. But now almost everyone's going to see our written word. You pretty much almost every job you do now, you have to send emails. Um, and if you want to get the attention of a possible employer, 
or you're emailing a client, whatever it may be, you need to look intelligent and educated through that email. Um, And I think it can make the difference of landing your dream job or not. When I teach my argument writing unit, I always tell the kids the importance of these skills in real life and being able to convince, even if it's customer service, being able to convince them that you need a refund through an email. It's, It's really important. And besides that, our words now live on internet permanency. So we have to choose them wisely. We never had that in the past where people can go back and look at your Twitter and or anything like that. So I think it's so important. Yeah, I I just noticed with myself and, and Wilkie and I have talked about this, how you really need to be mindful, you know, like on Instagram, because, you know, people right. are doing the Instagram posts where it's like several paragraphs they're writing to go along with a picture and you have to be really diligent and as much fun as autocorrect is, Mm -hmm. you know, like a a few wrong autocorrects, like you said, could be the difference between getting a job and not getting a job or, you know, it as easily as things can get misconstrued, a few wrong words here or there um, can really get you into trouble. And I, I just, I'm with it too. I, the the written word is not my strong point. I'm I'm much more comfortable in this format doing the spoken word and having conversations. But even still, I think it's really important whether we're sending out a communication for our podcast. You know, I have to be diligent when I reach out to people via email that I don't have spelling errors in my email because if I reach out to someone to ask them to be on our podcast and there's a bunch of spelling errors, it's probably not very likely that they're going to want to do it. Right, absolutely, and I know um, I've served on the hiring committee at my school, and sometimes we get so many resumes that we're just looking for any reason to eliminate one. So if we see one little typo, I'm automatically going to eliminate that, not because I don't think that person's capable, but just because we have to narrow it down somehow. So it's really important. Right. Right. I I will say that. Uh, you know, Will, you're you're definitely in the throes of understanding the importance of the written word as you're finishing or getting into the meteor doctoral program. Oh, you know, I was, just, I was just about to uh, comment on that because it's and it's I'm I'm, I'm a math teacher. However, because I love to read, you know, I come from a my family very old school values. My great grandfather used to sit us around and tell us. Do you know why there's so many books? And I was like, no, because people don't read them. And, <laughs> and um, I like that one. You just would remind us all the time because they put all the good stuff in books because they know people won't read them. So only a few people receive that information, and then we wonder why they're moving forward and we're not. It's because they're armed with information and we're not. So he he put a. I'm not gonna say I had a love for reading, but I had a a. It was instilled in me that it was important to read. Yeah, that's a, that's um, great that you had that. Right, and, and you know, and I, I tell the story all the time. But even with me understanding how to read, I went to college and realized that I couldn't. I could read words on the paper fluently, but very had very little understanding of what I read. Right. And it took a college professor to really kind of realize that. Wait a minute, there's a deficit here. Let me work with you on how to pick out this information and 
that transformed my entire educational career from that moment on um, to really get me to the point to where at that point I wanted to pick up every single book I possibly could because I, I, it was like almost I had a code. I had this special code that tells me how to do this and how, you know, how to understand what is what's being said. And even in the math classroom, I believe in having a math library. I believe in students writing uh, okay. all the time. Um, I believe when you can write about something, you can uh, you truly understand it. I agree, yes. That, that's they're so yeah. important to cross over between literacy and the different subjects, not just in English class. Right. But uh, we know how much we know based on the language that we speak and that we write. So that's, that's where really the bulk of knowledge sits. Even mathematics knowledge, you have to learn how to read in order to be able to, I mean, because test right now, they're not just computation. They're no, it's all word problems. Yeah. Exactly. So, um, so yeah, so that, like I say, understanding how to read and write in different genres for different audiences has been, um, I'm better though. So much better now, you know, going mm -hmm. into this next phase. So only two more years and then I'll be able to read for leisure again. <laughs> and I've really, you know, um, I've really enjoyed it, and, and Will and I have talked about this. Uh, I've really enjoyed getting to read his papers and kind of um, do some critiques. And a lot of what I do is grammatical, but even though I'm not doing the bulk of the writing, it still keeps me in a really good frame of mind to think about, um, you know, word choice. Because my biggest problem when I write is I use too many unnecessary words. I, I yes, get repetitive, I and so being being able to check his writing really makes me conscientious of the word choices that I'm using and, and stuff like that. And it's been really fun. And it's so funny now we'll, we'll co-write papers if we're going to do a presentation. And it's so funny cause I can, I can, I can sift through a paper and I can see what's his writing and I can see what's mine. But, but every time we do it, it gets blurred a little bit more to the point where I'm Kind of, I read his papers, but it sort of sounds like my own voice, which I don't know if that's good or bad. No, you got to keep your voice. You have to keep your individual voice. So absolutely, voice is hard to teach in writing. So if you have it, that's good. Right, yeah. and it's and it's interesting because even I'm a musician, and so okay. the same way with writing when you when you collaborate is the same way when you're a musician. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I play trumpet and piano, so if I'm working with someone. And they're like, hey, I'm playing saxophone. I can sit there and say, okay, I'm going to start here. I'm giving them the parameters. It's in this key. You know, we're going to do this progression. So now I have gave them the parameters, but they can have the opportunity to express their own voice to that, those parameters. And I think when you do that in writing, it really does become almost symphonic because you get to hear all the different aspects of that, those viewpoints, so to speak. Mm -hmm. so, that's a good comparison mm, that is thank you awesome so being that well we've been on summer for a for a minute here but being that you're going on to summer uh starting <laughs> tomorrow um what do you think is the importance of taking time in the summer for self-care and and how do you feel like that can set a teacher up for success the following year i think it's so important i'm the biggest proponent of it I don't think that I could do the job we do without my breaks. Um, and I feel like when I don't have a solid break, I'm not 
my best self as a teacher. So I know there are some teachers who like to work on planning every day all summer, but that is just not me. Um, we earned our time off, I think. So I do a little bit of work, but I try to limit it to maybe like one big thing a week. My goal this summer is just to get organized. I have at this point so many binders because I keep everything. So I have like five binders from every school year. So I just need to go through everything and keep only what I need. That's my big goal for the summer. But besides that, I am going to enjoy my time off. Right on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Agreed. That is a good uh, prescription. Yes. Very good. Very good prescription. Yeah. Um, so, what is the best advice you were ever given and who gave it to you? Okay, that's a tough one because I feel like I've gotten a lot of good advice um, surrounded by people who are really smart and can give great advice. Um, but right now, my favorite Um, which is something that's easier said than done, as is most advice. But actually, no one told me this one, but it came from a conversation I was having with my coworkers a couple weeks ago. It's don't worry about your reputation. That's who people think you are. Worry about your character. That's who you really are. So I love that right now. um, I've been thinking about that a lot lately, and I, I think that's really great advice. Wow. That it's a new one I heard. Yeah, that's a new one on me. I mean, I haven't... Don't worry about your reputation. That's what people think. Worry about your character. That's who you are. That is... Yeah. That, I mean, the teachers <laughs> could really take key to that. Because you put it through here that it's so important for teachers to be themselves. Right. No, it's you true. Know, don't try to be the teacher that's good. Go ahead. Oh, I just think it applies to every facet of life. It can apply to your work, to your friends, um, to even who you are on social media. I think it's really, and it's it's hard not to worry about your reputation, but if you can like really keep that in mind, I think it's helpful. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, what advice would you offer to a teacher who is struggling? I think the best advice to give a teacher who's struggling is to find a mentor. Just find somebody who you look up to and trust and go to that person for everything. From advice to if you just need that like few minutes to get something off your chest. If you need, if you need someone to spend your lunch breaks with. Um, I think people need to know that they aren't alone and that at some point every single teacher has struggled. So they shouldn't have to go through it alone. As teachers, we all have a common goal. So it's important to find somebody who's willing to help you reach it. And I feel like I'm lucky because I've always had a co-teacher. So when I first started out, I was co-teaching with somebody who had worked there for a few years already. And so I kind of had that built-in mentor. And I don't know what I would have done without her. And then I was able to return that favor when I was a few years in and my new co-teacher was just starting out and I think that really helps her too. Um, having someone to help you and like kind of laugh with you on the difficult days makes a huge difference. 
Mm-hmm. I like what you said, find a mentor. Because that's one of my things that I stress with new teachers when I talk with them is that you have to find your own tribe. Yes. Every teacher, every, if there's so many different types of teachers and so many different types of personalities and ways that, you know, teachers get things across, find people that, that's doing it the same way that you're doing it. Mm-hmm. Or that, that you have an idea that you're like, oh, you know what, I really like that. That I, I don't have anything permanent in place, so let me go ahead and reach out to these people and find out how this works. Yes. And I think that makes a big difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, as a, especially as a first-year teacher, there are so many questions that come up and you need to have a person you can feel comfortable going to and asking as many questions as you need. And understand that it's okay to ask questions. Right. It is okay. I think that's one of the things I used to get from teachers. Like, I don't feel like I'm just being, I'm like, this is your first year. If you don't have questions, then I am afraid. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> thrillers like Gone Girl style that were really good but this is going to seem really random but actually I read um, Kevin Hart's biography and it just stands out to me it's called I Can't Make This Up because Mm -hmm. it was really inspiring it was funny and it was inspiring too he's someone who came from nothing and he had a goal to become a comedian and he didn't give up until he achieved what he wanted to achieve he was hustling every day so I loved his book. I thought I found it inspiring, and I laughed out loud the whole time. Hmm. Yeah, it's very random. You have to look into that. Yeah, you should read it for sure. Well, and, and even without reading it, you can. I mean, like his his story arc. You know, because I've seen several interviews with him. You know, he, it's not like he all of a sudden just got one big break and then. No. wound up in these huge movies like Jumanji, he like mm-hmm. he still goes out and tours like a hundred some days a year even yep. though he's doing movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's crazy. And he has a really interesting childhood story too, so it's just a good book. Hmm. Yeah, awesome. Okay, so where do you find teacher inspiration and who do you think everyone should be following? Okay, so this this probably seems kind of crazy, but I had no idea this whole teacher Instagram world existed until I created my account back in December. Like, I think I had heard of Miss Fitz from a friend. I think she was like one of the first teacher Instagrams. But when I started my account and realized there was all of these Uh, teachers on Instagram sharing ideas I was like I was totally shocked I had no idea um I was kind of someone who just followed my friends on Instagram and like the Kardashians and that was pretty much it so um it's kind of a tough question because I think it can be overwhelming to follow too many I think it can Mm -hmm. kind of make you feel bad about yourself 
and you start doubting your work and think, oh my gosh, I don't do that. Should I be doing that too? Like, look, her idea is so cute. She's so creative. Um, and I don't want to, I don't want anyone to fall down that hole. And there, there are so many ideas out there that there's no way anyone could do them all. Um, but I will say I love five foot one teacher. She's really outgoing, creative with her students. And she suffered through a major tragedy at, um, Stoneman Douglas. So I think she's really inspiring and working to make positive changes. And I, um, Actually, I messaged with her a few months ago, and she's really kind. Um, she's a super sweet girl, so I think she's definitely worth a follow. Mm-hmm. All right, so moving on, um, what is your proudest accomplishment to date? That's a very tough question. Um, getting out of bed this morning on the second to last day of school? No. That um, is an accomplishment. <laughs> don't un- don't sell yourself short on that one. <laughs> it was. Um, I think, well, in terms of teaching, I think my biggest accomplishment was um, getting what what we call in New York City of a model teacher role. It was kind of this really intense interview process um, to become like an official mentor who spends time coaching throughout the school week. Uh, I interviewed for it after my third year teaching, and I was kind of worried I didn't have a chance because I had only been teaching for a few years, but I got the position, and I've been doing it ever since, so that's something I was really proud of, so I kind of, I teach, but I also work with other teachers to be that mentor, kind of like what we talked about before, and that's really rewarding to be able to be that person for teachers who they feel like they can come to when they're struggling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's kind of the same thing that I did last the last two years is working with brand uh, new teachers, um, connecting them with mentor teachers, working with the mentor teachers to make mm-hmm. sure that they have what they needed. Uh, to deal with the teachers, you know, doing classroom visitation. Uh, yes. I think it's just real important for them to realize that you got support. I mean, exactly. I was, I, I was like yourself. I was fortunate enough to be an inclusion teacher my first first three years teaching. Mm-hmm. And I was actually housed in my co-teacher's room. My office was her classroom. So I spent, you know, the bulk of my day in the, in the room with her even when we were not, you know, even when I wasn't servicing kids, so I would just watch her. Oh, and yeah. even to this day, she's still my mentor. You know, she still guides me and helps me. Um, even though last, for the last three years, I've been in the supervisory position over her, but she's still been a mentor to me, which That's is awesome. just huge and it just speaks volumes to, um, I believe, her growth and development um, as an educator and just wanting to see the best in people, the people around her. I think that's huge. Um, so Absolutely. before we get to the last question, um, I want to we want to thank you again for for doing the podcast. We are extremely extremely uh, excited that you took some time out um, to be a part of our conversation. Like I said, this is a five year conversation Kyle and I've been having about education, and we're just trying to find as many teachers that we can kind of pull in and glean from them and their experiences in education. Um, and hopefully we can get a little closer to that end game of what education should be. 
Yeah, thank you guys for having me. Like I said before, I I love the idea of this. I think it's awesome. And I'm also really excited to be on here because in my head, I like always pretend I'm on a cooking show or something like that when I'm, when I'm making dinner or whatever it is. So now I feel like I finally get to do it. Darn, darn it. I wish I would have known that you were a cook because Will, well, Will is quite the cook as well. No, in my head. I, I don't know what I actually am, but I pretend I am. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I feel you. That is true. So, um, the last question we like to ask everyone is, what do you want to be your lasting legacy? So, I think no matter what I do in life, all I really want is just to be a good person who does the right thing. Um, I want people to remember me as someone who helped them when they needed it and were kind to them when they needed it. like I said, I love being a, a new teacher mentor, and I I want the teachers to see me that way, but I want my students to see me as someone who is kind to them and who helped them, and students and adults. If so if I do nothing else in my life but in good to others, I think that's enough for me. Um, when I was younger, I probably would have said I wanted to be like rich and famous, but now I, I realize that's not important at all, um, and it's like somewhat meaningless if I'm not being a good person. So, you know, it kind of goes back to that advice on just having good character and um, you know, making people feel good about themselves. I just want to make people feel supported, and that's kind of all I care about. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you again so much uh, for joining us on the podcast. So if people want to um, connect with you, whether it's on social media or uh, check out what you have available on your website, how can they find you? Yes. So my website is teachtoteachshop.com. So everything's spelled out, teach, T-O-T-E-A-C-H shop. And then my Instagram is teach underscore to underscore teach. Awesome. Yes. Awesome. Well, again, we super duper appreciate your time and we're very grateful you came on the podcast with us. Thank you so much.